G'day, Magpie Army, and welcome to the round six episode of Inside Swoop. I'm Adam McNichol, head of digital content here at the Collingwood Footy Club, and I'm joined firstly by Stephen Riley, GM of Media and PR. Riles, welcome. Afternoon, Adam. Wags. Also, <laughs> also not in the studio, but in Sydney with Riles is our performance and strategy manager, Marcus Wagner. Marcus, how are you? Good, Adam. It's uh, nice to be sitting opposite Riles in a, in a nice little boardroom here up at the uh, Sofitel Darling Harbour in our new new home for the week. Excellent. Well, before we sing Sydney's praises too much, I just want to sing regional Victoria's praises because I'm sitting here in Ballarat and it's just as you were in terms of the restrictions. Happy days. We're all off to the pub tonight. House parties of 20 people. Fresh air, sunshine. It's very nice. But tell us what's going on in Sydney. You've just disenfranchised about you know a million of our Melbourneian listeners. Correct. We're going to say a million and one of our uh, our usual listeners there, Riles. <laughs> and just disenfranchise them once more. Don't come here, please. <laughs> so don't come and share. Don't come and spoil your paradise. That's right. It might be a freezing cold paradise. Top temp of about six point eight today. But I tell you what. It's very nice at the moment. The kids are going back to school next week. No complaints here. Well, well done, Adam. Right. Well, from our luxurious prison, <laughs> we, uh, we we ventured out. out. We were allowed on day release today. We were allowed out of the um, our our uh, prison, and uh, we ventured off to Bondi. And uh, it was actually a beautiful day. And there were a few waves as it happened. Uh, there was surfing action going on, which was good. Nathan Murphy, being a, a board shaper, um, had a keen eye on uh, what was going on out there, as did Tom Langdon, who I discovered this week spent nearly all of the previous lockdown period um, surfing twice a day. So, no that's the secret to his knee, his knee recovery. Well, Vargs, take us through this uh, whole process that got you into this hub in Sydney and uh, give us what's happened over the last few days and also give us a bit of a look forward as to what's happening because these are crazy days, aren't they? It's been, uh, it's been a remarkable week. Uh, I'm coming back to last Friday. I mean, just, just looking at the last couple of days is probably the most stable we've been um, from an information flow for the last little bit. So, but yeah, going back to the to last Friday, we are all getting set to play us in the MCG when your news started to break that our um, our departure from Melbourne was going to be brought forward to to Monday and we're going to be going to Sydney. So that reverberated quickly through through the group. Um, we didn't have many details, but uh, everyone knew that it was coming. So we um, probably spent the phone the afternoon on the phone. We had our practice game squad playing their game against Essendon as a curtain raiser at the MCG. So uh, Walsh and myself were sitting sitting up in a, in a room there, kind of half watching that game, but also half trying to piece together the information we were getting from the AFL about what what was happening, but also keeping an eye on what was going to happen that night with our game against Essendon. So it was a, it was a bit of a busy time, but um, as, as we got more and more information, uh, getting across what was going to happen, so... Originally, we, um, we as soon as the players arrived at the MCG, just to, I guess, nip it in the bud for that night while she addressed the boys, just to, just to give them the information we had because um, they were all talking about it anyway, just saying that we were, we were going to be brought forward in our departure to Monday and that um, 
we'll, we'll give them all the information they need after the game and then try and get them realigned back to the back to the job at hand, which was to knock Essen off. But I think um, what we saw on Friday night was the first time, I guess, all this all this kind of chaos has, has impacted our performance a little bit. Um, obviously, it was a very un-Collingwood-like performance on Friday night. So uh, hopefully we bounce back from that and we'll, we'll know whether that was the case this Friday against uh, Hawthorne. Um, but yeah, post-game, we obviously had the loss. We were all a bit, bit down on the world anyway. Uh, went back to the Holden Centre and just kind of gathered our thoughts and, and mapped out the plan for attack to get the, the travel party and the playing group to Sydney on Monday. Um, we thought that was it. But then we woke up woke up Mon- uh, sorry, Saturday morning with, with some more information saying that we were going to get a spike in, in um, cases in Victoria that day and that they're actually going to expedite our departure to the following day. So that was, um, that was pretty full-on information. Obviously, we had to speak to all our players, all our staff, all the ones with families and let them know, you guys, you don't have till Monday. You thought you had till the following Saturday, but now that got brought forward to Monday and then it was getting brought forward again to 10.30 on, on Sunday. So we had to speak to all our players and all our staff and say, guys, this is this is the case. Um, spend the afternoon with your families and see you at the Holden Centre on um, on Sunday morning. So we managed to get all, all the players we needed to to the Holden Centre for 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. All our luggage packed. The property guys did a huge job to get the trucks loaded and we got on a plane with Hawthorne on Sunday morning and got to Sydney. So... It was just a chaotic 48 hours. And then once we arrived in Sydney, we kind of um, gave, the, gave the boys and the staff a, a 24-hour, I guess, window just to find their feet, um, get used to their surrounds around here and, I guess, digest what, what had just happened. <laughs> so it was, it was just it was nice to just take a breather. And then we got the group together on, on Monday afternoon where we spoke about, uh, Buck spoke about what to what we're hoping to achieve in the next next month, which was fantastic. Uh, realign the boys to the job at hand. And and since then, we've actually had a bit more normality. I mean, this, coming to a hub like this with, that, with actually no plans in place, no training grounds, um, nothing like that. So we kind of had to kind of think on our feet a bit to get organised for this week. But the players have been fantastic. The staff have been really adaptable. Um, and we've actually had some two really, really good sessions up here and, and the guys are, are really kind of enjoying being around each other a lot more, um, a lot more than they were back in Melbourne anyway because we're staying at the hotel um, and we're actually kind of trying to make it a, a real positive um, what this week is what this week is delivered. So, But I think Rolls has got an even better story than, than that, Nick McNeck, on how he got to Sydney because uh, he, he did it the hard way. Well, um, some would say that's, that's my life in a couple of words, the hard way, but... Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, uh, yes, uh, unable to make the trip with the main group on, on Sunday. Um, Levi Greenwood and I uh, jumped in a hire car and hurtled our way up the highway, um, getting information as we were approaching the state border that um, we may not get through, that the, potentially it was going to be closed to us. Um, and uh, that wasn't the case. We were able to... Uh, to make our way through okay, but we spent the day driving the, um, uh, well, it's a very pleasant drive, really. I'd never done it before, nor did Levi. So we, we ended up um, solving the problems of the world, and, um, and, um, but did arrive to find that, uh, in, in a bizarre way, sort of that, that the players you know, in, in this sort of isolated hub-like existence, it's more like football normality than uh, the, the, the environment that we left. 
uh, a week earlier because back at home, uh, up until leaving for Sydney, uh, players weren't allowed to mingle together at the club, um, weren't allowed to train together in, in, other than in small groups. Um, and uh, they were coming to training uh, in their training gear, working through their program and, and then leaving again without being able to socialise and catch up with each other in, in the way that football clubs and football t- you know, and players normally do. Up here, living under the same roof, sharing meals, um, playing cards, um, all that, that, that social element has returned to the program and a number of players have been talking about how how enjoyable it's been so far for that reason alone, that, that they've loved the, the um, catching up with everyone again and, and just spending time with, with their good mates. And so um, may that continue. Right now it's, um, it's, it's been a positive, positive experience. Um, I won't be driving home. Um, I'm happy to have done it once, but uh, that might do me. Um, and Wax, we, we probably should talk a little bit about um, as hurried as the as the um, facilities and the arrangements and the training program was put together, um, it's actually been pretty good. And and the access to open space and training facilities is at short notice. Um, I would like to give a, sh- a, a small shout out to um, the Inner West Council. We 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 trained at um, Henson Park in Marrickville, and uh, that was. That was a good surface to train on. Um, I understand it's going to be uh, either in the process of upgrading it to the tune of about $6 million and have it ready for AFLW and AFL football by the end of the 21 season, which is um, nice to know that if we were to come back, we might have an even better surface to, um, to train and, and, and play on. And we spent a bit of time out at Sydney Uni, the, the sandstone you know, house of education in, in, in uh, this town. And um, there was lots of sandstone. And... Uh, uh, again, we, there was uh, grounds, gymnasiums and stuff laid on for us. Um, we had Brad Scott, as most of, many of our listeners will know, was the uh, former Brisbane Lions player and North Melbourne coach. He was up here on behalf of the AFL uh, sort of as a point man across a lot of this stuff. And um, yeah, he, was, he was effusive about what's available to the game up here, you know, particularly at such short notice. It, it, does, it sort of says to me that, um, there's progress getting access to more open space for our game to be played up here and making rugby ovals and, and things multi-purpose venues is, is a sign of, uh, is a good sign for our code. Yeah, just on, um, on the facilities, yeah, Scotty has been fantastic for us. Uh, I guess Walsh and I are lucky to have worked with Scotty before, so we've got a really good relationship and he's been, he's been first class in, uh, I guess, having a real understanding of how and what footy clubs and footy departments require from our training. Um, yeah, I think so. Pretty much first thing Monday, uh, Scotty Walsh and myself obviously had to go find ourselves some training venues and, and Riles has touched on where they were, but we went out to Sydney Uni. Um, yeah, they were very accommodating for us out, out there in, on very short notice. But yeah, we had to, we're also working in an environment where Geelong, Hawthorne and Melbourne also need training venues. So it's, uh, it's a bit of a logistical nightmare, but um, I guess everyone's working together and we, we managed to get get on at uh, Sydney Uni on, on Tuesday for our, I guess, our full contact session in our small groups. Um, and the session was was really strong. I think the guys trained really well. It was the first first time they'd been out and about. And I think it just shows how much they love playing. So when we train, um, they're usually up and about and, and they had a great time there. And then um, as Rolls touched on Wednesday at Henson Park and 
and that was a great little great little ground and you can see the scope they've got there to make turn that into a real kind of boutique coliseum there it's got really really steep steep hills great for the great for the uh the fan to watch from kind of a nice little cute grandstand there it was uh it was a really really cool facility and the guys again trained really well out there but it, again we had to balance our usage with Geelong and so it's a it's a it's a beast this thing and, and things change and we've got to change bus times and um yeah for example we're going to kind of Bondi Beach for recovery and the bus company didn't get the latest memo of of that we're going to Bondi so they ended up three quarters of the way to Giant Stadium because that's where they thought we were going and the boys thought oh, that's a bit far away from the beach and then finally someone I guess jumped in and said, I think the beach is the other way, mate. And the bus driver turned around and took him back to Bondi. So a bit of a detour, but these little quirks are popping up and the, and the guys have been fantastically flexible. But yeah, you can see um, the venues we're going to. You can see real scope for footy just to really kind of cement itself in Sydney now. And the fact that they're looking to invest in, in little stadiums like this for Isles is, is unreal. And I think, um, like, as you guys know, like Stadia are a big, big... Uh, big fanboy of the the stadia and i think it, like the the boutique stadium has got a real appeal for up here in sydney and it's one thing we're really lacking in, in melbourne is an afl quality boutique venue um and something like they're going to whip up at henson parks just exactly kind of what we need and i think there's there's real scope for that in melbourne as well that kind of 20 25 seat seat stadium down in fisherman's bend rolls it's already i've already got the, the location for it we're all set ready to go but yeah it'll be interesting to see where um with the council and this uh, Henson Park redevelopment. Yeah, I, I think it will. They, they, as I understand it, they're quite supportive. Um, the, the Mayor Darcy Byrne and the GM of the stadium, Michael uh, Deegan, are, um, are supportive. But um, I suppose one, one thing that it, um, we haven't been able to do, and it's, it's no one's fault, but we, we've got, we're one of six AFL clubs up here at the moment. Well, two are housed here, but... Um, 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 we haven't really been able to engage with the local population. When you think about what an opportunity it might have been for AFL to engage with the local AFL or Australian rules community here, I mean, it, we're just not able to. We're not able to have people to training or, or, or actually engage with anyone from in, in Sydney. But if you think about it, for this town, to, this city to have six AFL clubs all housed here with others to come, it would have been a great opportunity to promote the code. But... Um, Nonetheless, it's, there's, there's lots of things, lots of lost opportunities happening at the moment, or not. Well, boys, it is a very strange weekend for footy all up, given every single team is outside of its home state and no one's playing at home. No one's playing anywhere near their home ground this week, basically. Um, what are your thoughts on taking on Hawthorne? And in particular, uh, what's the team going to look like? I believe there's a bit of excitement to come here. Yeah, I think uh, obviously we've. Um had to make a few changes this week just based on circumstances, but um, yeah, in, a, in a quirky little twist of selection is we've picked our, our three boys from the same draft, all, all uh, father, son or next gen academy players in, in Will Kelly, obviously making his debut, which is, which is so exciting. Will's, Will's a great talent. He's a fantastic kid. We just know he's going to give everything. He's, He's, uh, he's ready to go. He's showing some really good form in, in the practice games. Um, so he'll play in front of the ball. He'll hopefully hit the scoreboard, take a few big pack marks. But we just know what Will's going to bring to the table and, and he's going to be a, a future star for this club. So hopefully it's, it's into the team this week and we'll look back in 10 years' time and go, this was where it all started for him because we think he's going to be a star. 
Um, but also coming into the team um, for his first game this year will be Isaac Quainer. Again, same draft, same team. Uh, through our Next Gen Academy, Isaac's been in, in Whitehold form in, in the practice games as well, playing back. Uh, he's, he's his power and, and speed and just his ability to defend just stands out and he was just knocking down the door for a long time and, and gets his chance this week, which is, which is fantastic. But, um, yeah, unfortunately today uh, Josh Dacos didn't, didn't get up um, with an ankle um, for this week's game, so we had to make another change and, and again, another debutant in Artu Bosanavalangi. Uh, again, another Oakley Charger, which I know Rolls is going to touch on. He's, he loves his little quirky drafting stats. Like he's a budding list manager, Rolls, so he's, he's all across this. I'm not going to steal his thunder, but um, yeah, R2 comes into the side and um, just the the reception he got when we announced it to the boys was just like it was just beautiful. Like he's just a fantastically popular player. Uh, everyone loves him. Very quietly spoken, but just just goes about his business in in such a such a way. He's just a power. Power, speed, athlete, but very clever round goal. Um, hits the front and centre hard, clean hands. I think he's going to scare a few of the Hawthorne defenders because when he hits, um, he hits hard. And um, yeah, can't wait to see see him get into the side. But it's a it's a credit to I guess our our academy's program and, and Craig Black and, and Mitch Cook the work they've done over multiple years to get these guys AFL ready. Um, very quickly and to see two debutants and Isaac I think has played only a handful of games. Uh, to come into the side to give us some freshness, um, and hopefully our supporters can have a look at what the what the next ten years look like with these three coming into the team, and um, hopefully give us a real spike in energy which we were lacking last Friday. Um, can't wait. Just watch and see if Artu kicks one early because the uh, I don't think the social distancing will take place if he if he kicks one early. But um, yeah, can't wait to see the three boys in action uh, this week. Yes, it'll be uh, it will be exciting. I think Artu. Um, has a rugby background for those who don't are unaware of where he where he emerged from and uh, has a lateral step, so he, he's got that classic rugby sort of sideways movement, but um, and can tackle like like a few others. So he'll I think he'll bring some heat inside in the in the front fifty. So I'm looking forward to that and the other boys. I've got a small story to tell about Will Kelly, which was um, as Levi and I were in the car on Tuesday, we get a call um, uh, from. Craig Kelly, uh, his father, who had been alerted uh, to the fact that his son was half a chance to to be called into the team. Um, for those who don't know, Craig manages Nathan Buckley, so I suspect there may have been some some correspondence there between coach and father. But um, Craig was, uh, although he and his wife, uh, if they had come to Sydney to see Will's first game, would not have been able to come to a, the team hotel or come to the rooms they would have had to keep their distance they were pretty keen to be up here but they were terrified that they'd get to the border like a whole lot of other people and be turned back so craig rang uh levi and i on our way up and he wanted bulletins on the way up can you tell me whether we'll get through and uh as it happened we got through okay but he was still in melbourne in the afternoon and then he was fearful that he'd left it a little late and would be turned back so uh, I think the, the plan is for the Kelly family to take it in on the family couch um, uh, on, uh, and watch Will that way. But um, uh, you did mention that that uh, Will, Isaac and Artu are all, are all uh, from the uh, Oakley Chargers. And uh, we, in fact, have eight Oakley players on our list. And uh, Trent Bianco, uh, 
uh, would have been the most recent of those, um, one, our second pick last year um, in last year's national draft. Um, but if you we run through the last four or five years, it's not a bad honour roll. The Jordan Degoe, Trent, uh, Josh Dacos, uh, Tom Phillips, Darcy Moore, Will Kelly, Isaac and Artu. So um, there's a bit of coverage all over the park with that group and all come from the same club. But we've also, obviously, with... Um, we won't have them all together tomorrow night, but we've got five father-sons now who have either played senior football or, or are about to. Um, there is the possibility that um, we will see five father-sons, um, that being the two Brown brothers, Tyler and Cal, um, Darcy, Will Kelly, and Josh Dacos all in the park at some stage this year, um, which I think will be... Uh, for, for Collingwood fans, will be will be a treat, um, particularly those who can remember the, their fathers. But um, it doesn't often happen like that. And and in fact, we're probably uh, you know it says something about our own academy system and and uh, and our development coaches that we've managed to get so many through the system and into the into the, the senior side. And I think there's a, a couple more to come, Riles. I think. Very exciting prospect. We won't go into too much detail because I'm sure the Pies supporters are already all over it in, in Nick Dacos coming through. And Tani Brown as a uh, AFLW father-daughter. Yes. Yeah, Tani's a very good basketballer. But um, and as, as I understand it, um, in her first game of AFLW football, it was um, at a local level. But um, I'm led to believe she had 40-something touches and kick three. So... I think that was the end of the basketball career and uh, it was the start of the AFLW career. So, yeah, we'll have three Browns, uh, a couple of Dacosses, hopefully, um, uh, a Kelly, a Moore. It's, um, that'll be, that'll be uh, the, the team sheet will look reminiscent of, of, the, of a team sheet from something like from the 90s. But, yes, very excited about both those two prospects coming into the system. It's, um, it's it, the father-son father slash father-daughter concept is such a powerful thing that the AFL's got over other competitions. I know in, during the shutdowns period where we where we connected with a lot of teams around the world and we're talking about just kind of sharing stories, they they really resonate with the father-son concept, particularly the NFL guys, because that's just something they don't get. And there's just a bit of romance about that, Riles. You love you love a bit of romance, more more on the, the romance novel side of things I've heard. But um <laughs> but um yeah I think whatever changes we see with the list, with how the game's played and footy department structures and all this kind of thing, all this uncertainty, if, if we keep the father-son concept alive, I think that's a, that's a great thing for the game. And I know our supporters, um, particularly our, I guess, older supporters who, who can remember that the father's running around, it's just such a buzz for them to, to reminisce about the good times. And um, yeah, hopefully the guys have a fantastic night on, on Friday night and we get the win and, and their first experience at AFL footy is uh, one to remember. Yes, it, it actually it's, it, it makes no sense in a rational, logical, um, you know, a competition that's committed to uh, equality. But thank God it, it, it's there. It's it, um, and and it's a fan favourite, and it is something you know. It doesn't make any sense to other codes who, who don't have it, don't understand it, and think, except that when they see how how it resonates with fans, um, it, it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing, and and um, it's actually. As much as it's a thrill to see the play, every player play their first game, to see the reaction of parents, um, even of parents, uh, well, the, the parents of players who have been in the game for a long time, see how chuffed they are when they see their boy move through, or in fact, their daughter, I mean, Tani Brown, 
hopefully she joins us. Um, it, it's a, it's a, one of those things that you, you know, that makes you realize that it, it's still a very human pastime. That it is. Great summation. So much to look forward to for Magpie fans. But I tell you what, from my feedback I'm getting about the podcast is no one looks forward to a segment more than the sports book of the week. So, Mr. Wagner, this is, puts you right under the pump this week. We need a very, very fine recommendation to follow on from Riles's uh, tome about the All Blacks, which is a magnificent read. Vargs, what have you got for us? Got a, got a lot to live up to. Riles's book review last week was just stunning. It was amazing. It was just, you see the passion oozing out of him, but it was, uh, um, yeah, I, I do love a, love a sports book as well. And I had a few options. I, I really like the old baseball books. I, I could have easily gone to Moneyball, but that's just too cliche because it is just such a fantastic book um, and, a, and a really good movie kind of adaptation of that. But what I've gone with Nick McNecht is uh, The Cubs Way by Tom Viducci, uh, which pretty much chronicles the, the rise of the Cubs to, uh, to their first pennant in over 100 years, um, but mainly focuses on their GM, Theo Epstein, who um, is just an amazing manager, um, general manager, obviously started with uh, the Boston Red Sox and, and kind of broke their drought and then went to the Cubs and broke their drought. So um, I guess what resonates with, with Theo is he's a highly analytical person, but he's also like a deep care of people. And I guess from, from that point of view, that's kind of how I want to model my kind of, I guess, management on is, is cause I guess I'm an analytical person that comes from my background and, but also that care and care and respect for the people around you. So a uh, fantastic book just to see how he went about rebuilding the, the Cubs to, to becoming a, a championship team. Um, it's really, I guess, boils down to three real basic principles that they they talk through in the book, which which I love. I think it's kind of a great combination management book slash um, sporting book. And I think what footy clubs are doing now and most most organisations around the world. So the first point is they they put a real premium on character of who you bring into your organisation, whether it's players or staff, and absolutely not compromising on that. And that's that's one thing he he was relentless on. So it wasn't just about talent. It was clearly that that character you could not compromise on. Uh, the second point was being really intentional about your culture, and that's kind of the people you bring into your organisation, um, who you promote, what you look for. So in in this book, that he shows how how they analyse baseball traits and baseball statistics, but also physical traits, but then how they combine that with, with character, which is a really interesting kind of combination and I guess something we, we try and base ourselves on a bit out of Collingwood. So it was good to see how that, what we do kind of resonates with what, what a successful kind of major league baseball team was, was doing. Um, and, and the third point, which, I mean, these are all pretty obvious, but putting into practice is obviously a lot harder, but kind of the, the aligning of your organisation, all the key pillars from from front office to back office to players, um, the bottom-up approach. So whatever kind of person you bring in from whatever level into your organisation that you put your effort in to make sure you're bringing in the right people and then pretty much getting out of their way and letting them flourish, which, which again, resonated with me. He, um, he puts in a, like a document. So they do this kind of big sitting for like three weeks where they come up with a, a framework on how they want the organisation to run. So they call it the Cubs way, and hence the name of the book. Um, but they, they kind of concrete how they want to operate. So it's a bit more rigid um, in that sense, but 
they that helps them develop the culture and align the organization and then when they just see something they love they say that's cub which i reckon that's pretty cool so if someone does something um that's kind of really high character action or whatever it is they go that's cub and that's now part of their culture which is really cool so yeah from from my perspective that combination of management with with sport um yeah i said been a big follower of dio epstein for a long time so any any book or any information around him is always worth a read so this was this was a good one um probably more so for the guys who like more that management slash sporting field less less about the storytelling but the actual story about how the cubs get to win win that pennant is um is good in itself for the for the pure sporting fans so there's a bit in it for everyone Ross, but a bit more uh i guess a bit more mechanical than than your option last week but it's still i think a really good read where is um ceo epstein now is he still with the cubs yeah he's still with the cubs i think they're working on like a trans transition period but pretty much he's it's it's the old chicken and the egg here everywhere he goes seems to turn to gold but uh, i think what what it does show is that most professional sporting clubs around the world have got fantastic people there it's just how you get the most out of them um, that's why some of the really good managers and coaches can move between clubs and success follows them because fundamentally we're all built to be the same, um, have a quality in most competitions. So it's how you harness that everyone's strengths, strengths and maximize their potential. And sometimes it's just, just clearing out all the, the noise and the barriers to that are stopping these people from reaching their goals and kind of reaching their full potential. That's enough and, and giving them that common purpose. So like he keeps it pretty simple, but I, I love that about that about how how his approach. Firstly, the the Red Sox and then the Cubs. It's just really um, it's just really clear, like such clarity in how he goes about. It. And he's done it from a young age. Like he was the youngest GM in Major League Baseball history, and that's good for me. I'm, I still think I'm pretty young. Roles. I don't know about that. Maybe I'm getting old in old these days. But uh, seeing young managers kind of in senior positions flourish is is a great thing because I think I know a lot of people talk about kind of the I guess the lacking of good good people coming through in footy in some sense, which I I don't agree with. I think sometimes you've just got to take a chance on someone if they've got the right character and and the right, I guess, kind of values like age shouldn't matter. Both at both ends of the spectrum. So I think the fact that an organization like the Boston Red Sox took a punt on a guy who's probably I think it was in his late twenties. I mean that's young to be a GM and and look at, to see what he's done. I think that's just this whole kind of mantra around, no, you need experience or you need this and that. No, if you're good enough, just throw them in. And we do that with our players. Like if you're good enough to play, you play. So I think there's the industry, particularly in Australia, can learn a lot from that, but that's not discounting, obviously, the people have been in a long time as well. Like it's, it comes down to the, each individual, not just kind of where you've been. And I think you see a lot of, in AFL worlds, a lot of senior people hopping between clubs and not giving the young person a chance as much, which I think needs, needs to change, but that's just my little rant anyway. A lawyer or what was he trained in? Sounds like he's a very clear thinker, which I think um, that's, a, that's a skill that can be applied across just about any field. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the legal fields kind of opens up that clarity in thinking. I guess you, you become very logical in your argument and structure, but yeah, it's, a, it's that combination between that legal background plus an analytical background. It's, I think he's probably in the sweet spot with his skill set, but what it all comes down to like, is his care for the people and trust in his people and bringing the right people into your organisation. I think that's, that's where you can find that balance between being analytical and being 
clear in your thinking, but then you've got to have people you trust to execute it as well. So, um, yeah, great read. I honestly haven't kind of, that was probably a few years back I read that and probably worth following up on his career where it currently sits. But, yeah, loved it. Love how he goes about it. And, yeah, I threw out a few Hail Marys to my contacts over there and said just to see if I can get a at least a, some kind of chance of an intro. And I got some, some pretty strong feedback that that's going to be a near-on impossibility. So worth a try though, Ross. Well, we've now, we've taken, we started with rugby last week. We've now gone to baseball. I think it's, uh, we can all look forward to coits next week. I think a, a ripper on yarn on uh, on the history of coits or something is, uh, must be coming up. Stay stay tuned for that one, listeners. I'm more of a more of a curling fan. I reckon we need a curling book. I reckon some, a real Nordic type approach where we it's about meatballs and curling. And what about the art of the sweep? Yeah, the, 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 the sweeper, sweeper. In, the, in curling, that fascinates me. Well, well the fuffa or whatever they do, they get that little broom and, and the feather and they clean the eyes up. I, there's got to be some some sort of soaring tale of, of heroism by the sweeper. Adam, Adam, that's your task, mate. You've got to find a book about a fuffa. <laughs> a fuffa. I've actually just been watching a little bit of that series called Home Game on Netflix, which is a short half-hour documentaries on crazy games around the world that you may or may not have ever heard of, roller derby being one of them. But another one's that game on horseback they play in Afghanistan with a dead goat. I might watch that one tonight. <laughs> but get around that. I'll mine that space for some books to, to back up. Maybe we can have sports docker of the week and uh, I'll pick one of those out. Fair enough. I'm very much looking forward to that, Nick McNect. Excellent, excellent. Now, any last thoughts from you two, learned gentlemen, before we close this wonderful program? Well, um, nothing nothing too uh, too deep, but uh, this time next week, um, our, our podcast will be, uh, um, the, com- the podcast conversation will be coming largely out of Perth, out of the uh, luxurious Joondalup Resort where... Uh, the party, the, the travelling football party, will be uh, in quarantine for two weeks. Um, so it'll be. Uh, hopefully, we'll have something new to share with you then. And uh, and I hope that you're all savouring a um, not only a win but a a, a great night for uh, father son football. Well, you're not coming with us, Rolls, because it's a bit soft to do do a Perth hub. But yeah, I might have to film from my uh, recreational vehicle, which I'm going to be housed out of in Perth. I think. All the uh, all the players and staff will be in a nice little accommodation because we needed a bit of extra space. A few of us are jumping into uh, into caravans, so um, I'll be jumping in one of those, which is which will be a bit of fun. Um, so I might have to sit in there with Fizz and uh, Nick McNeck, but it'll be scattered across multiple states. But yeah, we're on the move. Um, lunchtime Saturday, hopefully after a great result on Friday, we'll get over there, and I think things will tighten right up over there. I think it's a it's definite quarantine and lockdown for us at, at Joondalup and um, at least it's a beautiful, beautiful resort we'll be in. Um, but yeah, literally only get out for training at uh, HBF Arena, which for those Pies fans who remember, that's where we played a JLT game a few years back against the Dockers. That's where we'll be training and hopefully get a run on Optus Stadium once a week and then get ready for Geelong on uh, on Thursday night. But what will be exciting is playing in front of a few people. I think that's going to that's going to definitely give the guys a buzz, particularly uh, the masses of Pies supporters we've got in the West. So that, that should give them a buzz. And we'll, we'll get a little bit of a crowd tomorrow night. Um, I think up to maybe 6,000, 5,000 or 6,000 tomorrow tomorrow night if 
if if anyone turns up how to sit in the Olympic Park and make the trek out. But um, yeah, the the uh, the hub life continues and changes states and uh, yeah, can't at least it's keeping us on our toes and keeping us fresh. But let's get the result tomorrow night and then we'll uh, hopefully have another story to tell next week. Fair enough, Wags. Enjoy the enjoy the trip. Um, I would like to think that. Um, uh, returning to Victoria as I am, that I'm the one leaping on the grenade here. Uh, the, uh, uh, we're going into the prison state down there. So, uh, uh, yeah, relative luxury over in Perth. But um, uh, I do understand. Uh, I've been told that uh, I think the, the game against Geelong is sold out, that the 30,000 crowd limit that they've imposed there uh, has been reached, So, which is fabulous. I think, as I understand it, there's a bit of a quirk here that the Derby or Derby over there is Frio's. And so the West Coast fans who haven't had a decent football hit for a long time, a lot of them have taken up the option of coming to our game on Thursday. So we have a lot of a lot of fans anyway, but 30,000 is a good turnout between two Melbourne teams in a foreign city. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Can't wait to see the boys play in front of some fans. That is the upside of every club being out of Victoria. I think there's going to be a crowd at every single game this weekend and hopefully for the foreseeable future. Now, you've been listening to the Inside Swoop. You can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on all kinds of other magnificent podcasting platforms around the world. Subscribe, like us, give us a review, do all that. Tell your friends, tell your family. We want to build this thing into something humongous. So thank you for listening. The Inside Swoop will be back again next week. Go Pies against the Hawks. We'll talk to you then.